Ah, well, how you doing, church? Merry Christmas, yeah, doing all right? God's good, right? God's good. But we, we struggle, don't we? <laughs> As Laura shared, I think we can all uh, relate, right? Uh, so often we get our eyes on us, right? We get our eyes on the things of this world. We, we allow our focus to get skewed. And once we do that, now we might be able to survive for a little while, doing okay, and then eventually it builds up to the point where we, it begins to destroy us, uh, begins to tear us down, and we're filled with anxiety and stress and fear. The reality is that all of us have, I think, a tendency to think that we're alone, right? I mean, that, that, that we're kind of by ourselves in this world, that there's no one else there for us. Even those who have you know, been enjoying maybe a long marriage relationship, long and loving marriage relationship, there's still this tendency that we have to think that, you know, we're alone, that no one really knows us, no one really is going to help us, that, that we've got to figure it out ourselves. We've got to somehow accomplish, be successful, get through this life on our own. And with that, oftentimes comes with the sense, and really we're, we're brought up this way. We're, we, we're brought up with the sense as well that we can do it, right? I mean, that, you know, especially as Americans, right? We can do it. That, that we have the capability, uh, uh, you know, commercials, you know, you just need to believe. You know, that you just need to believe in yourself. You, you can do this. You know, that, and don't take no for an answer. Just keep going. Just keep striving. Keep working hard. You can do it. You can accomplish what you want. Don't let people tell you what you can't do. No, you just go and grab the things that you want. So we tend to think that we can actually do it. We, we think we're alone, but it's like, it's okay. I can do this. I can make this happen. So we, keep just, we just keep trying, we keep improving our skills, we, we keep you know, we're working on our discipline so that we can get better and better and, and achieve success. And when we do achieve any kind of success, we take the credit, right? Ha <laughs> ha, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Amazing what I could do. I mean, I, I put in all the amazing hard work on this. I've been working on it for years, or maybe I've just been working on it for days, but I did it. I accomplished it. I finished the task. I'm successful. I've reached the goal that I was looking for. I kept trying, and I deserve to reap now the benefits of my efforts, my skills, my abilities. Of course, on the other side of that is... Sometimes we fail, and we take credit for that too. I am just not skilled enough. I just didn't maybe work hard enough. Ah, I just am not disciplined enough. I just, I just didn't do, I didn't work hard. I didn't get it. I didn't push myself. I didn't, I didn't you know, discipline myself so I could improve my skills so that I could do it. I... I guess I couldn't do it. This is the struggle that all of us, I think, have. This tendency to think we're alone and think that it's all about us. 
We think that our success is dependent on us, not anyone else, and we think that our failure is dependent on us, not anyone else. And this thinking fills us with fear and anxiety. Fear that we have no value if we're not successful. Anxiety that if we don't accomplish, then we're just nothing. We're not important. That we won't be able to even meet the needs of my own life and what I need to survive and to get through. Many of us, I think, have maybe experienced this anew this year, right? As maybe more of us have experienced failure, than any of us have in this world, in this time, in our life. Maybe this year is the year that you've experienced and actually are now dealing with this failure. Now, you know, certainly in this climate that we're in now, we can point fingers, and maybe this is why maybe there's so many tensions in our culture right now. We point fingers at the govern- government, point, point fingers at you know, the leaders, we point fingers at other people, who aren't following the protocols or whatever. We're good at blame, right? But part of that blame is coming out of this realization and this fear within that because I wasn't successful, I'm not valuable. Because I'm not valuable, I'm not going to get the things that I need. I'm not going to survive. But Jesus, amen? The good news is that Jesus is here. You you see, this is the Advent Sunday of peace. This is the Advent Sunday of peace because it is a celebration of this entire Advent of the fact that Jesus is here. He came to earth. He dwelt among us for 30-some years, died, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and then sent his spirit so that he is constantly here and with us. You see, peace comes from this reality that Jesus is here. When we understand that we are not alone, peace can wash over us. When we understand that we have been fully accepted and loved by Jesus, by God the Father, by the Spirit's presence in our life, that we then can experience this amazing peace. The good news of the Advent season is that Jesus is with us. Right? The passage In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, in this story about Mary and the visitation of the angel and then Joseph and his visitation with the angel and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the source of our peace is that he is with us. He is there for us, that we are saved and and when we're saved, he's in us. When we understand that we don't have to strive for community, when we understand that 
we are not alone. And we understand that we are always in this eternal relationship with our Savior. <laughs> we have peace. Peace also comes from the provision that Jesus offers as well. See, it's not just his presence, but it's also his provision, his caring and providing for our needs. The passage that we read in Micah talks about uh, the, the, the Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah is going to come through the city, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, is means city of bread, city of provision, city of care for our needs. And again, this reminds us, going back into the Old Testament, of the manna which came to provide for the needs of the Israelites in their 40 years in the desert. Jesus revealed the fact that he was with them in the desert through the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, but he also revealed the fact that he was providing for them every day when they came out of their tent and there was manna on the ground. But this also gives us an allusion to the future as well in Jesus' own words when he said, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. You see, Jesus is the provision as well. He is also the one who's going to care for our needs. He's the one who's going to bring success into our life. It is not based on our abilities. It's not based on our talents. It's not based on our striving and our discipline. It's not based on what we can, how we can train ourselves and how we can develop those skills. No, it's all dependent on Jesus. This is our source of peace. That our fear and our anxiety can be released because we know we're not alone and because we know that the one who we're with will provide for us. He'll care for us. He'll love us. He'll give us all that we need. And this presence and provision is not just a worldly perspective of getting along in this world, it's also a spiritual perspective in regards to sanctification. Jesus, A.B. Simpson said in the fourfold gospel, is our sanctifier. Jesus is our sanctifier. We've already seen that he's our coming king. We've seen that he's our healer, but he's also our sanctifier. The couple of key perspectives in this perspective of Jesus, our sanctifier, is first is the now but not yet perspective of sanctification. The now but not yet says basically we have it, we are sanctified, yet we haven't enjoyed it fully yet. This is also the source, and we'll get into this a little bit, of our vision statement, saying that we already have sanctification. We already have this pure and perfect relationship with our Savior. However, we're not fully enjoying that yet. It's a reality spiritually, but it hasn't fully been a reality physically and in our life. And so there's a now but not yet part, an aspect of sanctification, but there's also a crisis and a process perspective of sanctification. 
The fact that, first of all, that uh, sanctification comes in a moment. How many of you guys have experienced maybe that moment in time? When maybe you've been a Christian for a period of time, maybe it's the first initial step into the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden, there's this miraculous or this powerful experience you have with the Holy Spirit in filling you, empowering you, whatever it may be, and you go, oh my gosh, I'm different now. And forever from that time on, you see God differently. You see yourself differently. You see the world differently. Those are called crisis moments of sanctification, where all of a sudden, in a moment, The Holy Spirit shows up, gives us a powerful experience that changes us. But sanctification is also a process. Sometimes it takes years to develop certain perspectives, certain disciplines, certain experiences to fully enjoy them. Matter of fact, I think it's true that the sanctification is part of the maturing process of humanity, uh, uh, psychologically. I mean, as we grow and understand and are able to perceive the world differently because we're getting older, because we've had more life experiences, that also opens up the door for us to become more sanctified, to to engage God in a different way, to understand him in new and deeper ways and be able to recognize how that is lived out in our life. That's the process of sanctification. Sanctification is both. We will have those big crisis moments, but we also should expect that it's going to take time and work over years. But understand this about sanctification. We cannot be successful without Jesus. I've heard too many Christians in my life and even have believed it myself that my sanctification is dependent on me. That if I fail, it's because of me. If I don't succeed, it's because of me. Or if I do succeed, it's because of me. That it's about my discipline. If I just work harder, if I be able to figure this out, then I should be able to be successful. I can make this happen. How many of us, once we step through that door of salvation, still seek to work and, and put the effort in to do, you know, on our own? I can do this. It's like you know, we step through, we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done, and now we never think about him again. I've got this. But we can't be successful in sanctification without Jesus. He's the one who who directs us. He's the one who inspires us. He's the one who motivates us. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who changes us. And we can't do it on our own. We certainly need effort but we don't need pride. Consider this, one of the fruit of the Spirit, the last one, self-control. Yet how many times have we taken pride over our ability to discipline ourselves to do the spiritual things that we're supposed to do? It's a fruit of the Spirit even your ability to have the discipline to do those things. That's Jesus. And, and, and I just want to say, too, I, I think there's too much of this, this false humility in Christianity as well, where we say the right words, oh, thank you, Jesus, but in our hearts, and, and you know, here's the thing, I can't judge this. The only one who can judge this is you and the Holy Spirit inside you. 
But how many times have we, you know, said the right words? Oh, I thank Jesus for all these. But in, internally, we're kind of going, I got this. Man, I killed that. It's all about Jesus. Failure also does not defeat us. See, success is all about Jesus, but failure doesn't defeat us. We need to understand that sanctification is not a demand, it's an invitation. We too often look at our relationship with God through this judgmental, legalistic perspective that God says, that means I have to. And if I don't, I'm failing, I'm a failure, I'm horrible, I'm evil. God is not going to look at me. He's not going to answer my prayers. He's not going to be around me. It's just going to be nasty. And then we get in this shame cycle where we will never come back and seek repentance or even a relationship with God anymore. We're just feeling like, man, if I get in, I'll be lucky. When in reality, we need to recognize the disciplines of the Christian faith, obedience uh, in the Christian faith is is an invitation, not a demand. It is Jesus' righteousness that we are hoping in, not our own. Yet we so often allow pride, again in our Christianity, in in our Christian walk, in our sanctification, to defeat us. I fail, and so we go, oh, I'm horrible, I can't be around God, and saying, wait a second, no, 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 yeah, I'm sinful, I make a mistake, read Romans chapter 7, and be encouraged that Paul couldn't even figure it out, but it's interesting when you do read Romans chapter 7, one of the things where he says, if I do what I don't want to do, then it's not me, who is doing the evil things. It's my sinful nature. He does not allow his sin to defeat him. He recognizes sin still exists in him. It's something to be repented of. But the issue is not so much whether we sin. We should expect that we will continue to sin. The issue instead is whether or not we have chosen to sin. So many sins that we do commit are not the things that we want to do. We're wrestling with that sin, yet we fall into that temptation or we fall into that sin over and over again. The issue is to continue to wrestle because the sins that are the big ones, the ones to be most concerned about are the ones that we choose. More than that, consider Paul again. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. He's wrestling with this thorn in the flesh. And what does Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. Again, we let sin destroy our relationship with Jesus all the time. We get ashamed, we get guilty, and it's not that maybe sometimes we need to feel guilt, right? Certainly we should, but that should never separate us from Jesus. Even those sins that we wrestle with and struggle with over and over again, my grace is sufficient for thee. That we would claim that promise and not allow that sin to keep us from Jesus. We should be able to walk in freedom knowing that that sin is dealt with, knowing that our perfection has already been granted to us. It's just an internal perfection. Yes, we want to live it out, but even when we don't experience that, his grace is sufficient so we can maintain that relationship with Jesus. We can still celebrate and enjoy that relationship with Jesus. Maybe not perfectly in every aspect of our life, but that's okay. That's what eternity is for. 
Now, it is all about Jesus, but we certainly have a role to play. We have a choice to make. And I just want to turn briefly to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13 read as follows. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have a role to play. But Paul knew, and so he followed 12 up with 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. They call it synergism. We have a synergistic relationship in regards to sanctification. Jesus is the one who brings about the sex. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing about... Wow, that is unbelievable. I'm glad that's recorded. See, you guys at home online, you're not missing nothing. Except for my red face, maybe. I don't know, maybe I zoom in. Wow, that's unbelievable. Sanctification is what he provides, yes. (laughs) Man, I don't even know where I'm at now. Oh, so he, he provides our sanctification, but we have a role to play in choosing to follow him, to, to listen to him, to seek him, to follow him, to worship him. This is what we are called to. This is our role in it. We still have free will. We still can choose to resist him. We can still choose to not follow him, to not seek him, to not worship him. And so we do have a role to play. We have to agree with him, right? We have to step into that. But once we step into that, we are, then it's all about him. Like he brings about this amazing sanctification in us. Anything that we get to experience, anything that we get to enjoy of that relationship is because of his amazing goodness and provision. But even understand that even the choice is a gift, Right? We were all bound by sin with no hope. Nothing else we could do but sin. And then Jesus showed up, broke the chains of sin in order to allow us the opportunity to choose. And that's all we got to do is choose. And when we choose, then he brings about the success, the change of character, the change of life and the experience And here, understand this too about our failure, right? If he's the one that brings about that, you know, and this goes back to the, my grace is sufficient for you, right? That if he's in charge of the success, then if we're not experiencing success, maybe God's using that, right? Maybe he doesn't, maybe there's a reason to allow that thorn in the flesh for a period of time to keep us humble, to keep us dependent on him. You know, we so often look at our sin and our failure as just nothing but ugly and and evil. There's no good in it. But God is a redeemer. He uses that sinfulness to bring about something beautiful. 
Remember Genesis chapter 50, Joseph talking to his brothers after his dad's dead. His brothers are freaking out, thinking Joseph's going to kill him. And Joseph, Joseph says to him, he says, no, 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 don't worry about it. What you meant for evil, by selling me into slavery, God meant for good. He used his brother's sinfulness to bring about an amazing redemption for his people. This, so this is how we have to see our sin as well. Not freak out about it. Not thinking, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. No, we need to wrestle with sin. But understand, if we continue to wrestle with that sin, that's okay too. That God is using it and re- re- using it to redeem us, to change us, to keep us where he wants us to be. That's the amazing God that we worship. So one of the keys to our awareness of God's presence and his provision and the blessing of sanctification is experienced in his family. This is part of why we journey together with God's family. Our vision statement, again, the slogan more fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then last week, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer. And this week, journeying in life with our church family in honesty and humility is the third line. You see, it's journeying in life with family where we get to fully, more fully enjoy this sanctification and this relationship that we have with Jesus. This is why we commit to the family of God. This is why it's not just Jesus and him, or you and Jesus and you. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's not just Jesus and you, it's Jesus and his family and you. So, key words in this journeying in life with our church family are honesty and humility. And it's important that we kind of explain what we mean by those words. First of all, honesty. The fact that we choose to live together in truth. We're willing to allow people to see who we really are. You know, in the world, we have to constantly wear a mask, right? Yeah, even in the church we do too. In the world, we have to constantly have this facade, right? We have to, have, we have to almost play a person, our character, right, in, in the world that we're living in. We can't allow people to really know who we are because that's dangerous. If they really know who we are, then, you know, maybe are they going to like us, right? And so we've got to, you know, pretend to be somebody else oftentimes. But we do that in the church as well. We show up in the church and we think, oh, I got to put on this face, right? I got to look really righteous, really religious. I need to look really Christian. But that's not the kind of relationships that the family is supposed to have. You see, my, my kids, you know, at home, they, they uh, <laughs> growing up, they always behave the worst at home. I don't know, maybe your kids are that way too. And they would go to other people's houses and, you know, we'd hear about, you know, they spent the night at somebody else's house and I get here from their parent, oh, your kids are so amazing, they're so awesome. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Whose kids? Right? You know, because at home, they're like horrible, right? And, but that is the way it's supposed to be, I think. That not that we treat each other horribly, but that we can be who we really are at home, that we're comfortable enough with the family to live in truth, 
to let people see who we really are. This is what we mean by honesty. It also means that we're assertive in managing those relationships, that we're purposefully engaging with people and, and seeking intimacy with them. It's not that we have to do it with everyone, right? I mean, the longer you're here, hopefully there's more people you know and can relate to and interact with and, and be able to live and journey life with. But, but at least there needs to be some people that you're diving into relationship with in the church. I remember early on, I, I, I'm an extrovert, right? So I got here, and after about, I'd been here about six or eight months, I, I, I was realizing this sense of loneliness that was in me, and I was talking to my mentor about it, and I just, I don't know, I just don't, I don't feel like, I, I just, it's just weird, right? I, don't, I feel like all my relationships with the church are just so superficial. And he says, you know, you know, you know Sean, he says to me, he says, I think you need to just pick somebody and take a risk and dive into relationship with them. Like, go deep. Like, let them know who you are. Be real with them. Stop the Sunday face thing and just get honest with somebody. And I took his advice, and it was amazing the difference that made. To know that there's somebody around you who knows you and loves you just as you are. And so we have to be assertive about diving into relationships with one another but also about managing conflict when it arises. Too often in the church, conflict is a dirty word. Like, we're never going to deal with that, right? We just kind of put on this facade like, oh, everything's fine. Oh, hey, how are you? I love you so much. I love what you're wearing today. But actually, in our hearts, we're like, ah, you drive me crazy, and I hate the way you do this, or I hate the way, you know, is that you? Am I the only one? I'm the only one, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so... I need to deal assertively with conflict, but uh, <laughs> that we would dive into relationship, and when there's that conflict, that we would, we would address it, right? Not that we're oversensitive to everything, but then if there is real conflict and real tension, right, that we would go to the person and say, I want to talk this out. Not be afraid of conflict. Recognizing the reason there's conflict is because we're sinful people, have weaknesses, and when we get to engage in conflict, that means we, become, we get to know each other better because we're, feel, we're figuring out, oh, yeah, they have weaknesses. Oh, I have weaknesses. Wow, look, we both have weaknesses, yet we still love Jesus. And so deeper relationship comes from that. The amazing thing is that we, in this honesty, we get to see the presence of Jesus in others and if they can be in that person, if you know, Jesus is in them, he can be in me too, right? The, uh, the second key word in this section of our vision statement is humility. And this means that we accept people for who they are. We don't expect them or force them to wear some kind of mask we don't expect them to be, you know, as good as the pastor. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Scott. I got one fan out there. Um, 
that we would just accept people as they are, right? You know, that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to have it all figured out, that they can be honest. They can be sinful. They can make mistakes. They can lash out. They can do those things, you know, that they can be at home here. They would feel like they're comfortable here to be able to do that sometimes. And humility also means that we come alongside others in their struggle with sin because we recognize that we're struggling too. So humility is about an awareness of our own sinfulness and that we're all in this together. We're striving for the same thing. And again, we get to see the provision of Jesus in other people. Right? When we see Jesus do a miracle in somebody else's life and transform their character, transform their personality, transform their life in some way, we go, oh my gosh, right? Like, he is at work. And it helps us to have that same encouragement in our own life. No, God is at work. God, help me see where you're working in my life too. All right, worship team, uh, come on up. Adriana, you can have your stand when I'm done with it. Just a couple of uh, thoughts. Uh, the reasons for the season. Jesus is here. Amen? He didn't just come a couple thousand years ago as a baby. that's not our hope. That's a signal or a sign of our hope. And our hope is the fact that he is here now in each and every one of us. We are one with Jesus. This is shocking, unbelievable. How can this be true? But it is. Jesus is here. We are not alone. And Jesus is working we celebrated last night so much of what Jesus has been doing, but there were so many things we could have celebrated that weren't, we didn't have time to talk about. What is happening in your life? What is Jesus doing in your life? How is he working? He is in you. He is working in you. He is alive. He is at work in your heart and in your life. And as a result, our fear and our anxiety are gone. Just like Laura began the service with, if you are feeling fear, if you're feeling anxiety, it's because you are looking at the things of this world. You're relying on your own strength. Peace comes when we turn our attention to Jesus, remembering that he is in us. He's accepted us. He loves us perfectly, just as we are. And that he is working to bring about the things that we long for. That we would enjoy this relationship with him more fully. Church, when we understand these things, praise and worship spontaneously come out of our lips. Amen. When we recognize that fear, it just kind of dissipates, the anxiety and stress goes away, and we know it's all because of Jesus, what else can we do but give him the thanks, give him all the glory, because it's not because of our great mind that we figured this out. (laughs) It's not because of our strong discipline. It's not because of our amazing talents. It's because of Jesus. Amen. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Christ coming to earth. Lord, it is an amazing reality that you, the God of the universe, chose to send your Son to come and be with us. Lord, it's an amazing truth that Jesus willingly came and lived among us for 30-some years and then willingly went to the cross to die for our sins and then to defeat the grave, to break open the grave so that all of us could have hope for the future and also to recognize that he would send his spirit to be one with us. Lord, you are with us. What an amazing and powerful truth that should drive away all fear and all anxiety. Lord, help us to reflect again this Advent season on this reality that you bring peace because of your presence, because of your amazing provision. You love us. You provide for us. You care for us. What a fitting way to close this service, but with, of course, Romans chapter 8, 31 and following. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, you guys have heard about this. It's been written. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. And God bless.